Good evening, everybody, and it's very nice to be here. You probably all heard of the uh, Dalai Lama, and he's been a very wise Buddhist monk. And they once asked him, like they'd like to ask monks, you know, what what is the essence of the Buddhist teachings? People often um, find the teachings a little bit complex or difficult to understand sometimes. So he said, well, the essence of the Buddhist teachings is the practice of kindness. So it's a very good starting point if you want to find out about the Buddhist path and what the Buddha taught and why. Um, just using the theme of kindness, um, maybe expanding a little bit, compassion as well, um, empathy, compassion. Whereas one time the Buddha um, was teaching about the practice of mindfulness, which is probably uh, what you hear most often about, what the most sort of commonly talked about aspect of Buddhist practice, practice of mindfulness. But one time he was talking about mindfulness and he made a comparison um, talking about how when we practice mindfulness, we're not only helping ourselves, we're helping others not only doing what is beneficial for ourselves, but doing that which is beneficial for others. And he gave a simile. He said there was once um, an acrobat and his uh, student who did an act, you might say a circus act, and this act involved um, balancing on the top of a bamboo pole, a very tall pole. The teacher would crawl up or climb up to the top of the pole and then the student would climb up and balance on top of the teacher's shoulders and they'd do this act of uh, various acrobatic movements right up on the top of this one bamboo pole. So it's quite a risky uh, act and very difficult to perform. And they'd done their rehearsals and just before their first performance, the teacher said to the student, okay, we're ready to do our performance now. Just remember, if you look after me and I look after you, everything will be okay and our performance should go well. But the student, the young girl, was actually very smart and she thought about it and she said, no, that's not the best way to do it. The better way is if I look after myself, make sure I do my part of the act correct and you look after yourself, make sure you do your part of the act correct, then the act will be successful and safe and will be, uh, have the minimal risk. And the Buddha said the young girl was actually the wiser of the two, the better approach. And he was pointing this out just why um, the practice of what we call mindfulness, mindful awareness, Knowing yourself, knowing the mind, uh, there's many aspects to mindfulness, but why it's so central to the Buddhist teachings. Um, because often in life we, we, all want, we, all, we all want to be free from suffering, we all want to be happy. Um, but unfortunately often in life our way or pursuit of happiness and pursuit of um, you know, stress-free living as a, a way of life without suffering is always to concentrate on going out from ourselves so in terms of relating to other people it means trying to fix up other people trying to fix up the world trying to make things somehow different than they are on the outside trying to maximise our uh, comfort and happiness on the outside minimise um, problems and difficulties on the outside do it often concentrating or looking at life from that perspective rather than turning around looking at ourselves um, first. And so the, the Buddhist path is very much one of learning to work from the inside out. So when we talk about the practice of mindfulness, it's talking about learning to be more aware of oneself. Uh, you might say learning to look after oneself or watch over oneself. Uh, to <coughs> prevent oneself creating suffering, creating unhappiness, creating trouble. 
for oneself, and then obviously that would spread out to preventing one from creating suffering or trouble for others as well. So working from the inside out, rather than the other way around, which is actually probably the more common way, is we always try to work, get the outside right, and often forget the inside totally, or are not fully aware of this. So uh, an example of this, say when I was a student, I, I'm from the UK, I, I began my Buddhist practice in a university Buddhist society, maybe not so different from this, and um, <coughs> we would do meditation, there was meditation twice a week, uh, meditation sessions where you, you learn a practice called mindfulness of breathing, where you're learning to focus your awareness, your concentration, your ability to concentrate on your own breath as your meditation object as a way of developing yourself, developing a sense of inner peace, well-being and importantly some inner understanding, understanding of, of your own mind and the way you're relating to the world and the way the world is. And having gone and practiced meditation for a few times at this Buddhist group then I'd go home and I'd practice myself and what I started to realize quite quickly was how little mindfulness I had normally, how not very aware of things I was. Uh, contrary to what I believed prior to practicing meditation when I thought like most people, well, I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going, <laughs> what I'm saying, I know what I'm saying, I know what I've done, I'm doing, you know, we tend to go along like that in life. But as soon as I practiced meditation I realized, hmm, that knowing or that awareness is only, you might say, half awareness or a kind of a vague general awareness. And as soon as you practice meditation, if any of you have, you'll probably agree, first thing you realize is, oh, there are great gaps in our awareness. Periods of time when we're not very aware of what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're thinking, how we're feeling, how our bodies are, how our minds are. And this can be a great source of suffering when we're not very aware. Uh, sometimes, um, mostly, it's not a source of great suffering, it's just sort of maybe uh, we could all be a little bit more, uh, concentrate a little bit better on the things we do in life, we could be a little bit more aware. But sometimes it does lead to great suffering when we're completely unaware of maybe something very important <coughs> we've said or done, or even just the way we're thinking particularly over periods of time, uh, habitual thought, habitual ways of acting and doing things, often they can lead into a lot of stress and unhappiness and we're not quite sure why and how. So when I began meditation I started to see this, this you might say this problem or this, this truth that we are often not very aware of ourselves and that, that really is the beginning of where maybe stress, unhappiness and problems in our life come from. So the Buddhist remedy is to practice this quality of developing mindfulness, or we say inner awareness, to be more in tune with ourselves, more in touch with ourselves. But that's not to ignore other people or the world around us. Often you hear people say, oh Buddhists are very selfish, they go off and they sit and they watch their breath or they do some meditation and they forget about everyone else and you know they escape from the real world. Um, that's not actually how it's supposed to work. If you practice mindfulness in the context that the Buddha taught, it's actually learning how to integrate with the world and live in the world skillfully, but working with yourself first. And particularly with the theme of loving kindness, that you know it makes sense if you if you can't be at ease, at peace, or happy with yourself first. Very difficult, or you might say impossible, to be uh, at ease and happy with other people. If you can't have some loving kindness, uh, some goodwill towards yourself as an experience, actually feel that for yourself, well, very difficult to have that for other people. Um, so in some ways, the practice of mindfulness, learning to get to know yourself better, being more aware, more continuously aware of yourself from moment to moment through your day, through your life, in some ways that's synonymous with the practice of loving-kindness. Because um, if you think, 
if this practice of mindfulness, getting to know yourself better, getting to, you might say, look after yourself better, um, you're doing that which is most beneficial for you, and then that will also spread out to the other people and the world around you, the environment, the people, society around you. Well, then practicing mindfulness is, is the most beneficial way or the, you know, the, the most practical expression of loving kindness that you could um, develop, really, in daily life. And this practice of mindfulness, I mean, there's many, many ways uh, you practice mindfulness, develop mindfulness. Um, when you talk about meditation, you're practicing mindfulness, developing mindfulness of an object, and, and that's one aspect of mindfulness. You always are mindful of something. And it's this quality of knowing, awareness, knowing, uh, in particularly in meditation, knowing the meditation object that you've chosen or that you've been given. It's the training the mind to, to be mindful of that object, or to be able to recollect that object. Uh, to know that object from moment to moment through the meditation. Uh, so if, say in the case of mindfulness of breathing, why well, it's simply just learning to be able to hold your attention on the feeling of the breath going in and out. Um, <coughs> nothing very spectacular, but when practiced and developed well, it can actually lead to very spectacular results. In, the term, in terms of just the, the sense of inner well-being and peace that one gains. <coughs> but obviously the, the practice of this development of this quality of this, this quality of mindfulness, um, as I said, it's, it's a quality you can direct and, and have at any time in your life. And not, and not just, say, with a meditation object like the breath or, or some of the other techniques. You know, you can be mindful of your speech. I'm trying to be mindful of my speech now, say things that are useful to, to you as a listener. I guess you could be mindful of listening. Um, you can be mindful <coughs> of any activity you're involved with. But again, that also, you have to qualify that. It's sometimes practice of mindfulness we, we hear people say well as long as you're mindful everything will be alright just know what you're doing but there's another quality that is often talked about with the practice of mindfulness it's um, quality we usually refer to as clear comprehension or clear understanding of what you're doing or what the mind is uh, involved with from moment to moment so you could be just quietly thinking on your own you could be talking, you could be uh, driving a car, walking along the street, anything. Um, but it's that quality of not only being present and aware of what you're doing, but also knowing why you're doing that. What are you doing? What's the purpose? Is it useful, beneficial for yourself or not? Is it beneficial for others or not? So that's a widening of the practice of mindfulness. It's not just being aware, but also there's a certain, we, we, we say, a certain amount of intelligence, your own intelligence working from moment to moment hand in hand with mindfulness to guide your mindfulness, to, to use it as a skillful tool for uh, improving yourself, improving your life helping others, doing that which is useful and beneficial so a practical example of how we practice say in a monastery how we practice uh, this mindfulness and clear comprehension uh, my teacher Ajahn Chah used to say, well, mindfulness is that quality of just being able to recollect at any moment in your day, any waking moment, ask yourself, what am I doing now? What am I doing? Am I speaking? Am I listening? Am I walking? Am I uh, writing? Whatever. What am I doing now? And then the answer, you, know, you answer yourself, I am sitting, listening, I am talking, I am uh, walking along the road, the answer is the aspect of clear comprehension. So the ability to stop, recollect what you're doing, and then also know clearly what you are doing, the purpose, um, how it fits into your your life and at that moment, whether it's 
something that is, you might say, skillful, wholesome, or something that is maybe destructive or, or negative? That's the answer that comes when you stop and ask yourself. So mindfulness practice then isn't simply learning to direct your mind, say, to an object uh, like the breath in meditation, but it's also a wider or broadened, you can broaden the horizon a bit to also just daily monitoring what you're doing, watching over yourself through your life, you can say, from day to day uh, through your life. Another similar they, they give for this, these two qualities of mindfulness and clear comprehension is like the gatekeeper of a city. You know, a gatekeeper of cities of old, I guess nowadays don't have many gatekeepers, but uh, in the old days you have walled cities with maybe just one main gate, people go in and out, and there's always a gatekeeper checking who's coming in, who's going out, who's coming in, are they... Uh, friend or foe, are they helpful to this city, are they a danger, are they up to no good, uh, are they coming to help and do something beneficial, you know, it's, it's that ability to watch over the gates and check, keep uh, the city free from trouble, from danger. It's that kind of quality, the quality of watching over oneself, guarding oneself, knowing oneself better. Uh, could even say taking more responsibility for yourself, actually learning to be more in tune with yourself so you're clear what you're doing and why you're doing it from moment to moment through your life. And these are very uh, important qualities I think for our, not just our spiritual development but any kind of personal development, you know, talking about personal development in people's lives, you know, the more we can be clear what we're doing and why what the purpose and the goal of what we're doing from moment to moment in our day, in our life, the more we can be clear of that, well, probably the better for us. And the practice of meditation, Buddhist meditation, only helps to enhance that. Um, another aspect of the practice of mindfulness, uh, which supports the development of this sense of inner well-being and, and, and inner happiness, is also getting the context right, um, which again fits a little bit with what I was just saying about the practice of clear comprehension. Like, um, you know, the Buddhist path isn't just a practice of mindfulness in isolation, just developing this quality of uh, mindful awareness, understanding what you're doing through your day, being clear, knowing what you're doing. But there's also a goal, and the goal is, is always moving towards um, developing inner happiness and freeing oneself from suffering. Uh, not only for oneself, freeing oneself from suffering, also freeing other people from suffering, helping others free themselves from suffering. Understanding that, again, you know, helping oneself, one helps others, helping one others, help, one helps oneself. But these broader goals, these wider goals are important to getting, putting your mindfulness in context why we practice it and where it's heading. And how we also understand that is we, we talk a lot about, in Buddhism, talk a lot about karma, you know, the teaching of karma, that everything we do, and when I say everything we do, I mean on the level of body, speech and mind, so mentally what we think, our attitudes, our views, our thoughts, then our verbal expressions of those and then our physical actions and expressions of those on the physical level. On these three levels, everything we do is, is karma in the sense it's all um, bringing results. It's cause and result. What we think, even just what we think, a casual thought comes into the mind, that's already bringing a result. It's, you might say, flavoring your mind if it's a negative, destructive emotion with that thought, even in a minor way, where it's already maybe eroding away a little bit of your happiness. Uh, if it's a more positive, more wholesome thought, maybe it's bringing a little bit of happiness to the mind. And just on the mental level, you know. Uh, but then obviously what we say, expressing our states of mind that are more skillful, positive, wholesome, or more negative, destructive, 
what we say will also make karma, what we do um, based on our, our mental state, our acts will also create karma. There's a process of cause and result, cause and effect going on all the time. So uh, in Thailand we have a saying, uh, do good brings good results, do bad brings bad results. It's sort of the, the shorthand version of karma. You do good and, and, and it's a cause for happiness. Maybe it's just thinking a kind thought or a positive thought brings an immediate sense of relief or well-being to the mind. Uh, speaking something that is useful, kind, uh, helpful, will bring a productive, beneficial result. Doing things uh, with a good intention and a, and a skillful intention will bring productive results, good results. And then the opposite, negative thoughts, negative speech, negative actions will bring more suffering, more negative results, uh, destructive results. The more you understand or study karma then, or looking at, you know, learning about karma through your own, own actions, your own life, again puts mindfulness in context because it starts to show where mindfulness is so valuable. Becoming more aware of um, how we are creating all kinds of causes and conditions in our life through what we think, what we say, what we don't do and how that's coming back to us all the time. So these are some of the um, aspects of the Buddhist path, things that are associated with the practice of mindfulness and the development of loving kindness. Obviously, um, we could probably look in our own lives or the world around us and see very many examples of maybe where where this seems to come be true, you know, the evidence for what are the sort of things I'm talking about. For me, when I started to practice mindfulness, not only was I starting to become aware of um, how often I was not mindful in these moments where you, you know, often you get lost in daydreams or you know, you're walking down the road and you realize your body is walking but your mind is already miles away somewhere else, not really with the present moment. Then even worse than that, realizing how often you get caught into different states of mind that um, are suffering without realizing it and maybe dwelling in those states, you know, stuck in those states without realizing for yourself, oh, here I am suffering, I'm not aware of it. So a, typ a typical example, good example, when I first became a monk, many years ago I was in Thailand, the monk I was sitting next to, as, as Buddhist monks, you, you tend to sit in a line when you have a meal or you do your meditation, you tend to sit in a line. And there was one, you're always next to the same monk, or for periods of time you're next to the same monk. So I was next to this one monk, and at first, he was from another country. I was one country, he was from another country. Um, so already our cultural background was different, our age was different. And for me, I thought, he talks a lot. <laughs> More than I would like. And you know, when you, that's normal, you know, some people talk a lot, some don't. But when you're in a situation where you're with someone all the time and they talk more than you like, you tend to start getting negative thoughts. Like, mm, this guy talks too much. <laughs> and not very mindful of that, so you get in the habit of talks too much. So you start in your mind actually, call, I used to call this guy, oh, the monk who talks too much. <laughs> not very kind, but I hadn't seen that yet, I hadn't realized. But then one day, like monks do, I fell ill. Um, in Thailand, you used to get all these kind of strange fevers in the jungle, uh, sometimes malaria, sometimes just other kinds of fever. Anyway, I had this terrible fever where I was on my back for at least seven days, couldn't move at all. I was just lying on my back. And when you fall ill in the jungle in Thailand, you're a monk, there's no, not many comforts. You, know, you don't have a, anyone cooking your favorite food. You don't have a TV or radio or music or anything like that. You're just lying on your back on a mat, a very thin mat, you know, like a straw mat on a wooden floor, looking at a tin roof of a hot, very hot, for 24 hours a day. <laughs> so, you know, the first hour is okay, but the second hour starts to get a bit tough. And you've got no comforts. Um, but then this monk, the one who talked too much, as 
monks are trained to do, we're trained to look after each other when we sit. The Buddha said, you know, this is one thing you have to do as a monk because we don't have family or immediate family. You've left your home, you live in the forest, you live in a hut. Your family is the monks that you live with. And this monk who I thought originally used to think talk too much, he used to come and talk to me every day to try and cheer me up. And I was thinking, hmm, isn't it strange how your mind is when, you know, when you're, when you're healthy and you want to do all the things you want to do, then this guy oh, talks too much, don't want him around. But then when you're ill and you're feeling sorry for yourself and, you know, no comforts around and you're feeling very tired and weak, oh, now I'm quite happy to have him come and talk. Hmm, that's strange. You see how your mind changes, doesn't it? It changes in a different situation. And this monk was actually very, very kind. He came and talked to me every day and brought me medicines and checked on me because potentially you know, it could even be a life-threatening illness. It wasn't, but it could have been. And so he'd check on me morning, evening, morning, evening, every day, give up his time, come and check on me, see how I was going, bring me uh, medicines, bring me some extra drinks and food and things because I was too weak to go anywhere. I couldn't even bathe. I was just lying there in, the, in his hut. So after a week, I realized, well, yeah, well, there's a value for talking a lot. Sometimes, you know, time and place <laughs> cheers you up when you're ill, passes the time. Uh, and also, I could see, well, it's actually coming from a very good intention, um, very kind. So then I, I was looking deeper, practicing mindfulness at the same time as being ill, just questioning myself. That, mm, yeah. when, when we're not very aware, we tend to just react, you know, when we don't get the things we want in life, we often react, so you want silence and then someone talks too much, well you react, you get irritated. Or if you're lonely and you want talk, maybe you're, and there's no one around to talk to, you get unhappy that way. But often we're reacting, aren't we? We're reacting to things and we can get caught into judgments in our mind, we judge ourselves, judge other people. I know there's another thing, like if you're sitting on your back, lying on your back, looking at tin roof day after day, after a while you start thinking, Oh, why did I come to Thailand? <coughs> why did I become a Buddhist monk? Uh, you know, it's just the way you, your mind is. You start thinking like this. And if you're not careful, I could see you. If you're not careful, you just get into a habit of thinking, Oh, this is terrible. Being a Buddhist monk is terrible. Being in the forest is terrible. Being, uh, living this lifestyle, getting ill is terrible. And very easy to feel very depressed, sorry for yourself. But again, I thought, oh, hold on, what am I doing here? Just focusing on the negative aspect of this situation. And it was mindfulness that was helping me. It's stopping questioning, what am I doing here? What am I thinking? Are these thoughts correct? Are these thoughts actually useful and conducive to my happiness? Or am I just making myself more miserable? You know, compounding what is already a difficult situation, making it worse just in the way I'm thinking. So I thought, well, is, is it true? Thailand is a terrible place. No, you know, the people were very kind. They, um, as a Buddhist monk, they feed you very well. They look after you, um, and they never ask anything in return. It's very happy that you're practicing uh, the, the Buddhist, the life of a Buddhist monk. I was thinking, you know, is it the, is it the jungle? Well, no, the jungle is actually quite peaceful. You know, it's a peaceful place. It's, there are a few predators around, but generally you don't meet them. And you know, just living in a peaceful place with trees, uh, no, nothing wrong with that. Is it the other people? Can't complain, the other monks were looking after me very well, very kind. So after a while, you're just challenging every negative thought that comes up. You say, oh really, this is just you compounding this illness, making it worse by your own negative thoughts, you know, adding on to a situation. If I can roll all that back, start to let go of some of these thoughts, get back, just using mindfulness, questioning and becoming more aware of my own thinking, it gets back to a point where there's still some discomfort from the illness, but the mind can actually just be more peaceful with it, you're peacefully at, at peace with this illness. It's possible. You know, after much practice, much practice of mindfulness, much sort of looking at the mind, doing that, sort of let, letting go, throwing away the sort of the rubbish of the mind, get to the point, okay, got some illness, I probably won't die, so in that case I'll probably get better, when I get better that'll be the end of it, and no need to make it worse by you know, thinking a lot of uh, negative or depressing thoughts. 
So for me, that first time I got ill was actually very, very helpful. I learned a lot about you know, when you're not mindful, you can put yourself into a lot of misery very easily, very quickly. You can react to things. Uh, when you apply mindfulness and you see what you're doing in your mind, you change just reacting to things to maybe responding to things. So you know, you're responding to your situation, responding to different moods coming up, responding to other people, but responding with wisdom, with mindfulness, and it changes the whole experience. That's just one, one example, but we probably all got examples of, of that you know, in our lives. If we look, we can see often we don't make the best out of our situation because of a lack of mindfulness, a lack of awareness. It's quite common we get caught into our thoughts, negative thoughts, worry, anxiety and so on. And if we've never really looked, you know, we don't really see what's going on and then we, you know, we judge ourselves. So often we get very, very down on ourselves. Uh, maybe a small thing happens, you know, maybe fall ill or something like that. But then it prompts a whole torrent of unmindful negative thinking and you end up in a much, mentally, much worse state or unnecessary, a lot of unnecessary suffering simply because you've been unaware of what you're doing with your mind. Another example of that, talking today at the monastery about uh, one time, in another monastery in another country, there's one time there's a lady came to the monastery regularly and uh, she's a young mother, she had a few children, and she had a new baby. Not long after she had the new baby, she came to the monastery one day in, in tears, and sitting down, tears, very, very unhappy. So the teacher waited till everyone had left, and he asked, what's wrong? And she said, oh, I'm a bad mother. I'm a terrible mother and a terrible person. And the teacher thought, hold on, that doesn't fit. I've known this lady for many years and she's, uh, you know, what you call a good person. She's a good mother, a good person. Why is she saying this? So he said, well, why are you, why are you saying that? What's up? She said, oh, because I, I, I wish that my baby was dead. And the teacher said, oh, yeah, that's quite a strong, strong thought to have. Well, did you kill your baby? Oh, no, 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 I could never do that. Good mother, <laughs> he said. Well, you're not a, you're not a bad person, and you th thought you could kill your baby, um, but you couldn't do it. Obviously, you're a good person because you know you can't do that. Why were you thinking that anyway? So she said, "Well, I've had, I've got my two first children, very young, a lot of work looking after them, and then I've had this new baby, this young girl, and she just cries and cries and cries all night. I'm just not getting any sleep, so I was getting more and more run down." getting more and more exhausted, feeding her, changing her nappies and so on through the night. And there was this one night where I was completely exhausted, went on all night, didn't get a wink of sleep all night, so I was completely at my wit's end, just ready to sort of break down. And then about 5 a.m., finally put the baby to sleep, got into bed to sleep, thought, oh, now I'll get my sleep. And the baby started one more time had to get out and she just thought, oh, I wish I, my baby was dead. So you know, when you see it in context, the thought is just a natural kind of outburst of a, an exasperated, tired mind of a, of a mother who, you know, doing a very good job giving up for her children. And the monk sort of pointed out to her, well, you're not actually thinking of killing your baby. Said, no, 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 I could never do that. Oh, so you're a good person, you're not a bad person. So she had picked on one thought, you know, true, you might say an evil thought, negative thought, which maybe was dead, but it's just one thought. And then, you know, he said, so, you know, in the course of your day, how do you spend your day? He said, well, I spend my whole day running after the kids. So all your other thoughts in this day are about, you know, what do the kids need, how can I help them? Uh, what do they need? Well, right through the day, you know, 99.999% of your thoughts are good thoughts, kind thoughts, compassionate thoughts about your family. You have this one little negative thought, which anybody would understand, and now you're saying you're a bad person? Yeah, it doesn't actually match, does it? But that's what lack of mindfulness can do. Sometimes we don't, not aware, we, we focus in on the one bad thing maybe in our life, you know, our own bad thought, or some 
something happens to us or we make a mistake or something goes wrong, we fall ill or something. And you pick on that one thing and then you blot out all these other good things and other um, happy things, good things, productive things in your life simply because your mindfulness isn't seeing the big picture anymore. You know, it's just focusing on the one negative thing, honed in on that and blotted out all the rest. And you know, for that lady, she was miserable until the monk helped her to see what she was doing. And, and it's oh, maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> you know, it's like that often in life, isn't it? We we do it to ourselves because we're not aware. So that probably brings to the last bit of the talk. Um, we'll do a little bit of mindfulness practice in a moment, um, some, some guided meditation. But you know. How can we stop these kind of situations arising where we fall into our own sort of state of suffering, unhappiness in different situations? Well, improving our mindfulness, improving our, our, our clarity, uh, being more aware of what we're thinking, why, uh, how true it is. Is it a true reflection of things? How correct is our thinking? You know, the only way you can do that is looking more closely at what you're thinking, getting to know yourself better. Um, not just making you know, snap judgments, jumping to conclusions about oneself, about other people, about the world, actually looking more closely for yourself. And that's where this mindfulness practice is very, very useful. So the next, next for the next five, ten minutes, what I actually do is lead you through some mindfulness practice if you're interested. It's totally voluntary, uh, not compulsory. <laughs> Because the, the theme of the talk is loving kindness in meditation and daily life, um, we might as well practice the meditation on the theme of loving kindness. So when you do this, obviously, um, you can sit in a chair, or if you're at home, some people like to sit on the floor on a cushion, that's fine. Um, the first thing in this and most other meditations I suggest is uh, as I talk, you can close your eyes. So you can carry on listening to the words as, as, as you close your eyes. But close your eyes, and before anything else, just start to become aware of how your body is feeling right now as you're sitting in this room, in this chair, in this spot. And you might do this by, first of all, putting your attention up at the top of your head where your hair is and just feeling how does your head feel at this moment and this is a very neutral observation you're just observing how do I feel up in the head is there any tension is it feeling relaxed you can notice the feeling of the air on your face is it cool or warm for you if you have any tension in the muscles in your face, say on the forehead, the cheeks or the jaws, if you notice any tension then just try and relax the muscles and move your attention gradually down from the, from the head down to your neck and shoulders. Just try and relax your shoulders, your neck muscles, your shoulders. And in this meditation, it's as if you're getting to know yourself better. You're sending your awareness to those parts your awareness normally doesn't reach or doesn't make full contact with. So from the shoulders down, the arms, so your right arm, down to the elbow, down to the hand, to the tips of your fingers, your left arm from the shoulder downwards to the hand, to the tips of the fingers, and maybe back up to your chest, down to the stomach, And all the while, not only observing how you feel in yourself, but if you do notice any 
tension that can be relaxed in your muscles. Just consciously try to relax. Try to sit more comfortably in your chair maybe. Then send your attention down to your hips. Down your right leg, your side, to your knee, to your foot, to your toes. Consciously relaxing, loosening, letting go. And your left leg, down to the knee, to the foot, to the toes. Just start to bring your attention up. You might <clears throat> want to fold your hands in your lap, one hand on the other. Bring your attention upwards now and try to place the attention at the center of your chest. More or less where your heart is, your physical heart is. And at the same time, as you're focusing on that spot, you might quietly recite in your mind a phrase, something similar to, may I be well, may I be free from stress. The wording you can decide on for yourself, there's no absolute right or wrong. But it's that basic intention, may I be well, may I be free from stress. And you want to silently, quietly repeat or recite that phrase to yourself whilst maintaining the awareness at the chest area and at the same time bringing up as much of a warm, loving feeling as you can. And if you have problems imagining or creating this feeling, generating this warm, loving feeling, uh, the way the Buddha taught it, he said, imagine the same feeling you would have for a newborn baby. So that kind of automatic love, natural love, well-wishing for that baby or anything else that you find easily to bring up a sense of love. So it could be to a, a puppy or a kitten or a, some animal. So you're both reciting a phrase such as may I be well, may I be free from stress. You're focusing your consciousness, your awareness at your chest and you're developing a warm, loving feeling at that spot, all three at the same time. And as you do this, you're also reminding yourself with mindfulness to let go of all other concerns and thoughts at this time, just for this brief period. You don't have to think about what you're going to do after this, tomorrow. You don't have to think about other people. You don't have to think about your work, what you did yesterday, or any of that. Any thoughts that pop into your mind at this time, you just quietly acknowledge them and let them go and keep returning to generating the warm, loving feeling and reciting the phrase, may I be well, may I be free from stress. Don't have to concern yourself about sounds or anything else. You can notice sounds and then just let it go. The idea is to work quite hard and be very patient and energetic in really focusing the mind on this feeling and this recitation over and over again at your own pace, you can do it faster or slower as you like 
is developing a very unjudgmental, open, spacious state of mind where you're accepting yourself for good or bad, whatever. If you do feel stressed, that's okay. You're allowing yourself to be that way, but just trying to consciously relax a little, little by little. If you feel relaxed and at ease already, we'll just keep developing, deepening that feeling with the recitation and that feeling. For some people who have a very visual mind, you can even imagine a glowing light in your chest area, maintaining that light as a kind of symbol of the state of mind, the focus on the theme of kindness, compassion. Time is brief here, but normally you might develop this meditation by spreading this feeling from the chest outwards in all directions to all parts of your body. So up to the head, to the arms, down the legs, to the tips of your toes. So we say suffusing or spreading the thought and the emotion of loving kindness to all parts of your body and mind at this time. Relaxing and also letting go of all distracting thoughts by recollecting the theme of loving kindness over and over again, concentrating on that. time is brief I'll just proceed on if you were doing this at another time you might take a little bit longer but having developed the feeling and the thought of loving kindness for yourself the next step might be to direct it to somebody that you uh, love or respect so it could be your mother or your father might visualize them, try and imagine their face as if they're sitting or standing in front of you and now reciting, may my mother be well, free from stress or whoever it is and consciously sending that warm feeling to that person as you recite the words you're as if spreading or sharing that feeling from your mind to theirs and genuinely wishing them to be happy and free from stress. If this meditation uh, develops, you might practice it frequently the sense of inner peace inner well-being will grow become more concentrated and both for you you'll feel that and then your ability to focus the mind on your loved ones your friends strangers and even enemies if you have any will improve the ability to concentrate the mind directed to oneself and then out to other people will improve and the genuine sense of well-being, goodwill and inner joy will grow through practice like anything if you practice it often then you get better at it. And you might end this meditation by just spreading that same feeling of loving kindness in all directions to all beings everywhere without exception 
with the thought, may all beings be happy, may all beings be free from stress. Because time is short, you can just quietly end the meditation, just bring your awareness back and open your eyes. And bring your attention back to the present moment. few minutes left so that's been set aside for questions if anybody has any questions want to ask anything feel free yeah say a regular meditation practice I wouldn't recommend to think about work and other aspects of your life during the meditation uh, obviously there's a time and place for everything so what I would recommend during the meditation is actually practice letting go of all thoughts about everything other than your meditation object so if it's the breath practice using the breath as your anchor stabilizing uh, that which stabilizes your mind keep recollecting that feeling getting used to letting go of all the other thoughts so you also have to teach yourself maybe at the beginning of your meditation you remind yourself it's okay not to think about your project your work, family life all these other things, what you're going to do in the future for that period of time say, it's not my business to think about those things now, I'm just going to focus on the breath and you'll find you'll get much more benefit from your meditation if you do that. Obviously it's difficult, there'll be times when everything's crowding in and you can't stop, so you have to work hard at it. But your goal should really be to learn that skill of letting go of everything else. And it's only temporary, you know, your projects won't suffer just by letting go of them for 10 minutes a day or half an hour a day, whatever you've got for meditation. And you actually will find, if you have that skill of letting things go, putting things down, you get better at it. When you come to pick them up again, to think about them for your work, whatever, you might find your improved clarity gives you a more balanced way to look at things. You're able to look at things from different angles, less bias in the mind, less prejudice in the mind, less confusion, because you've improved your mindfulness by actually letting go first. So, you know, there's a time and place for these things. And, you know, obviously there'll be times when you have to think about work and stuff. But train your mind in mindfulness first and then you'll be able to direct it better when you have to think about these things. So basically, with the whole duration, just try to focus on the meditation. Work on the meditation object is your primary goal. What you might find though, obviously over a period of many days or many times when you meditate, there'll be some times where there's something that's really bothering you and preventing you being with the breath. You may be worried about something, angry about something, 
and maybe something in your mind you're really obsessed with and you've got to, you keep thinking about it, you want something. It could be ordinary, it's, oh, what am I going to have for dinner tonight? And you keep thinking about it over and over again. There'll be different things which come up, different moods. Maybe it'll just be sleepiness, oh, very sleepy, drowsy. What you also need to learn is some, develop some tools, some ways to deal with those different kinds of obstacles skillfully. And your number one tool is, well, concentrate on the breath. And if that works, well, you'll cut out everything else. But sometimes it won't work, you just can't do it. So then you need some wisdom to help you and apply the mind. Say if it's negative thoughts, angry about something, you might have to do more loving kindness, bring that up as a theme during that, that meditation, bring it up as a theme to counter or replace the negative thoughts about you're angry about something. If it's worry, you might have to contemplate the uncertainties of life, the impermanence of, of your thoughts. You know, worry is often made up of many thoughts that can't be resolved when you're thinking about something that hasn't happened yet, or just watching how thoughts come and go, come and go, and observe it. Well, they're just very uncertain, unpredictable, these thoughts. Arise, pass away, arise, pass away. You know, there's different tools, you know, more than I can talk about now, but there's different tools you can use during meditation to help. But your goal should always be to bring your mind to a state of calm first. And, 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 and that's your measuring stick of how your mind is from day to day. And you'll see some days you can calm down quickly and easily. Another day, very difficult. And that's telling you something, isn't it? Saying, hmm, is there something wrong? I'm really agitated today. Is there something I need to adjust in my life? Is there something I need to change? And so you learn that way. Many times there's a lot of talk about using meditation to cultivate mindfulness. Um, what other lifestyle changes can a person someone here make to bring about mindfulness on top of the meditation? Like, you know, what are other tools in the toolbox, so to speak? Well, in, in the Buddhist path, you know, we usually use what we call precepts, basic guidelines for skillful living in daily life, which uh, ultimately a way of training the mind but it's you know how your mind is reflected in your actions and your speech so the five precepts you probably know them but basically one is undertaking to refrain from killing or harming other beings um, not just humans but animals one under undertakes to refrain from stealing taking what is not given one undertakes to refrain from sexual misconduct so that might mainly means adultery either cheating on your partner or uh, cheating on somebody else's partner or with somebody else's partner. Uh, the fourth is to refrain from what we call false speech, which often is translated as just refrain from lying, but not just lying, it's also you know, uh, abusive speech, rude speech, harmful speech, you know, like maybe you're gossiping, telling, backstabbing, telling untruths things about people behind their backs. And then the last one, probably the hardest in modern society, is refrain from drinking drugs. So refrain from alcohol and, and intoxicants. Those are the basic guidelines for mindful living in daily life that the Buddha gave. And you know obviously there are some days it's easier to keep than others, but they are your guidelines. You know, they become principles that you use to guide your behavior and measure your behavior. How mindful am I today? You know, if you, if you have a fly come around and you're, oh, I lost my mindfulness, you know, oh. So as a monk, that's the first thing, the very first thing you learn, you can't kill, you're harmless. It's a very strict rule for a monk. Especially if you're in the bush, you know, even in Australia or, or Asia, you know, there's lots of bugs and they come for you and they bite, most of them bite and you know the first thing you want to do is go like that but you know, oh I have this rule I'm not allowed to kill I, I have undertaken you know, voluntarily it's nobody's imposed this on you you're using it as a training rule it's, oh I can't kill I'm not going to kill because it inflicts pain on that creature is there another way to solve this problem so it's, uh oh okay maybe just shoo it away <laughs> blow it away reach for the 
aerosol spray, you know, uh, just repellent, not that kills them. Uh, <laughs> uh, move away, put mosquito screens on your windows, you know, any number of things. You start thinking in a different way in order to preserve that principle of harmlessness, not harming, not killing. And obviously sometimes you lose it, you're forgetful, you know, something bites you and straight away, ah, yeah, oh, my mindfulness wasn't quick enough. And you feel regret then, you go, oh, I was, wasn't sharp enough today. And then you, you want to improve yourself, so you're actually constantly observing yourself and learning and seeing where you need to be a bit sharper, a bit quicker. The hardest one is probably speech, isn't it? You know, every day, you know, there's times when situations arise, tell a lie just to get out of a situation or defend ourselves, find excuses for things, um, or sometimes more malicious, you know, tell a lie just to really harm somebody or get some advantage from somebody. But if you thought it through, oh, I don't want to tell a lie because that's, you know, that's training your mind in, in negative intentions putting them into practice in speech, that's going to cause me regret. If you lie and you think about it, generally you, you don't feel good about it. Other people, they, you know, if they find out you're a liar, they lose respect for you. So there are many reasons why we might undertake, or in that case I'm going to practice not lying, but you have to work at it. You have to, you've got the principle now, okay, I'm going to try to be honest in my speech. And then there's situations that come up in daily life that test you, isn't it? Oh, how do I solve this problem without lying? <laughs> you, know, you have to think about it. Oh, sometimes you just have to bite the bullet, tell the truth, even though it's painful. Other times you maybe just stay quiet, but you're not lying. Um, or you know, malicious speech. You know, how can I say what I have to say without being rude or abusive or aggressive in my speech? You know, because you're training yourself, you're actually you know, seeing the value of it. You're undertaking it voluntarily. Saying, oh, this is this is training myself to let go of some of my more negative intentions. And what do you do if you use these five precepts as a way of guiding you? What, what happens next is, it's like you've got a limit. So you're, you're, you're about to say something, say you know, you're angry with someone, you're about to swear or be rude. And you go, oh, I can't say that. So what's the next thing that happens? That thought, the impulse to make you say that, what happens to it? It's got nowhere to go. So the next thing usually is it starts to fade from your mind. And you've actually freed or liberated yourself from maybe that negative or angry thought that was going to lead you to be rude or abuse somebody or whatever. It, it, it can't come out. It's in your mind. You become aware of it because you've stopped yourself, but then it will fade away. You're actually letting go of something. You can see that. You go, oh, yeah, I can be... I can let go of these things. I don't have to always follow every negative impulse that makes me be rude with my speech or kill a fly or whatever. And you can see yourself changing that way. And that's, you know, that's the way to actually, little by little, improve your, using mindfulness of precepts, improving a life, uh, the way you live and, and your sense of inner happiness, inner well-being. Give you a good example. In the monastery, because it's a monastery, everybody practices these precepts. You know, that's part of monastic life. At the moment, we have a building project. We're building public toilets. So there's lots of builders come onto the property every day, and they know how the monks live. You know, we, they've talked to us, they know us enough. So they know when they're with the monks, oh, they shouldn't be swearing. And we tell them, no, 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 not just when you're with the monks, anytime, don't swear. <laughs> doesn't sound nice. You, know, you don't like it. If you ask yourself, do you like hearing swear words? You don't like it, do you? And they all say, no, no, no. Your, your wives don't like it. Your kids don't like it. You know, it's the practices. So when the monk, monks are around, they all mm. <laughs> and, you know, You can see the tension, but that's, you know, the tension in a good way. That they're, they're really trying. You know, they, they can see the value. Oh, yeah, okay. Ajahn today, a whole hour without swearing. <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> Keep it up. We had one day where everyone, there's a lot of builders, a lot of machinery, digging trenches for electricity and water and other things. There's many people there, they're all tiptoeing around trying not to swear because the monks are standing there. <laughs> and then, then unfortunately, the, the, the digger, by mistake, he broke through the water pipe and the water went everywhere. So that was the end of the mindfulness practice. <laughs> Unfortunately, that's as far as it got, and uh, a lot of swearing after that. But, um, 
it's that kind of thing. You, you learn <coughs> to develop some principles, guidelines in daily life. And you can also be creative. You know, those are the five guidelines the Buddha gave for the basics. But, you know, if you've got a problem in your life, you know, like you, I don't know, well, you, know, you could say cigarettes, obvious one. Like say you're, smoking, you're a smoker and you want to give up. What do you do? You have to be mindful of your desire to give up cigarettes, to, to give up cigarettes and to, to, you have to be mindful every time the desire to smoke comes up, you have to be able to say, mm, I've got to ignore this, no, I won't give in. And if you're going to do it successfully, anyone who's done it, will know, oh, what I did, I learned to conquer that desire that I want a cigarette. You know, sometimes it's easy to say no, other days it's like, you know, you're just sort of struggling and struggling. But if you can do it, however long it takes, a few weeks, months, years, you feel very proud of yourself, very good, and you've gained mindfulness, at least of that desire for a cigarette. It could be something else, just getting up in the morning. You know, when I started meditating, I used to get up 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock when I was a student, you know, often get up very late. And I thought, mm, this is no good. So I started getting up 7 o'clock in the morning so I could meditate. Now I get up. 3 a.m., 4 a.m. to meditate, but at that time I thought, oh, I'll get up at 7 in the morning. That became my mindfulness practice, you know, when the alarm goes, you see the clock, oh, got to get up. And you just teach yourself to get up in the morning, you know, earlier. It could be that kind of thing. You develop principles in daily life that help you to improve mindfulness, improve your own life, improve your relations with others. It could be anything, you can be quite creative on these things. one man and woman come to our monastery and this for Buddhists all over the world this is what we call a three month rains retreat period it's from July through to October all the monasteries they go on retreat but often lay groups associated with the monasteries participate they maybe increase the level of their practice for three months maybe do meditation every day or go to the temple every day or every week listen to Dhamma talks and so on Anyway, a few years ago, there's this couple that decided they're not going to display anger with each other for three months. Which means they're not allowed to say anything in anger, not allowed to do anything in anger. If they have anger, well, they'll just have to be an internal mood and they're not allowed to let it out. If they do, they lose their mindfulness and they say a word in anger or they do something in anger, they have to put a pebble in a jar every time and then at the end of the three months they're going to measure how many pebbles are in their jar just to know how many times they lost their mindfulness and got angry somehow displayed anger so at the end of the three months range retreat they got out their jars and you know they've done very well but still there was you know occasions they lost it so they put a pebble in the jar and the man got out his jar and you know it wasn't quite full but it was almost full and it's like oh well okay it's that many times this three months I've got angry that many times at least I can see well it was that much then his wife got out it's half as much she done very well half as much and he saw her jar and he said no no that's not true and he got angry <laughs> <laughs> so you know Mindfulness practice, there's a lot of um, ups and downs, and <laughs> it's not always easy. <laughs> We've gone over our time limit, we might have to. Uh... Okay. But, um, yeah, I'd like to really thank you so much for coming and speaking with us tonight and sharing um, a Buddhist perspective on what it means to lead a meaningful and positive life. I think it's very valuable for people at university to hear about these things. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming. <laughs>